How to create a kingdom culture in your home. There are some uh, ambiguities in that title that I would like to just clarify before we begin. By kingdom culture today, we're talking about a home whose attitudes, whose values, whose lifestyle practices with a fair amount of consistency in honoring of Jesus as the King of the home. And by the home, by the way, I want you to hear today, we're not just talking about sort of the, you know, the, the, the two parents and the 2.1 children and the dog and whatever. We're talking about no matter what stage of life you're in, uh, single, empty nester, uh, married, kids, not, whatever it is, grandparents, doesn't matter. What we're talking about today applies to everybody. You all live in a spot. You have a location. You have relationships. What should be the tone of those uh, spaces and places and relationships with people if indeed Jesus is the king of that home and the king of that family and the king of that marriage? That's what we're talking about. How do we practice in the day-to-day of life uh, a lifestyle that is consistent with Jesus being honored here and where uh, glorifying Christ is the unifying principle of the home? How do we do that? And as we said last week, and this is so critical today, you cannot bring Jesus as king into your home until Jesus is king of your heart. And today, if you're here and we're talking about these things, you know, that sounds really great, but there's no sort of like fire in your belly to do it, and there's no sort of interest in this other than sort of practically that might make things work better. I think you have to ask yourself the real question, not is Jesus king of the home, but is Jesus king of my heart? Does he reside by faith within me, is is living for his glory as my Savior and Lord, my chief end, my big, my big deal? I want, I want to glorify Jesus or not. A Christian, that's, that's our big thing, right? We want to honor Christ. He has done so much for us. Now we live in a, a submission to him and a desire to honor him and glorify him with our, with our life. Now, you might be here and not be a Christian, and some of the things I'm going to talk about today will help you. And the reason they will help is because of common grace, Common grace says that God has so established the world that there are certain principles that when human beings, whether they're saved or not, operate according to them, there are blessings that come. And so, wonderful, hope it helps you, but I want you to hear me that to do this with any consistency and to do this in a way that is truly honoring to Jesus requires saving faith. It requires the people of the home to be mutually in this together. A true kingdom home will have values that flow out of the hearts of the home to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Now last week we talked about just some key cultural indicators in a home. How do you you know, like what, what should it look like if Jesus is king of the home? I want to review those just very quickly with you. And so we saw last week, first of all, That his kingdom is the first priority. And some of these words, biblically, there's definitely overlap. So we talk about the kingdom of God, the glory of God, these sort of things. You can, I think, interchange them largely. But uh, his glory, his kingdom is the first priority. And we saw Jesus, if you go back to that a moment, we saw Jesus say in Matthew 6, 33, Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God. A kingdom home will be a home where the people within the home are mutually seeking together as a first priority the kingdom of God, God's purposes in this world. 
and then we can move on, all right? Next. Self-giving love is the norm, okay? Now, nobody does it perfectly, and even the great Gary and Carrie Butler, did you hear that confession? It wasn't very clear, but let's just make it clear they didn't do it perfectly. (gasps) All right? So nobody does it perfectly, but generally speaking, an attitude of service and sacrifice for others is going to be the norm. Because why? Because as Christians, this is, how, this is what Jesus was like. He's establishing that sort of agape has said love within our hearts and within our home. Dignity and respect for others, order and peace, morality and obedience, and everybody said their favorite point was grace. <laughs> so glad you said grace there at the end, Pastor Steve, last week, because we were so depressed. Well, as I said last week, this is not a judgmental series. This is not a like, what is wrong with you? I want nobody to think that here. Wherever you are, if God can take you from where you are and, and move that more towards his purposes in a small increment, in a big increment, we celebrate that, okay? We celebrate that. So even in today's message, I don't want you to, to I don't, I'm not loading burdens on anybody. I don't want that. This is a, a foundation of grace And from a position of grace, we see ourselves as sinners. We're all flawed. Our homes are broken and not what they should be. But that doesn't mean God doesn't want to establish what he wants in our homes. And so that is no excuse to be like, ah, everyone's, you know, everyone's home's terrible and we'll just sort of aspire to be the same. Who does that, right? Who suffers from that? We do. We do. Okay? Now, that's what it looks like, okay, that list right there. But how do we get there? Okay, assuming Jesus is king of my heart, and I look at my home, and I, I want my home to be honoring to the Lord Jesus, how do I enthrone Jesus as king of my home? Now, I want to set that question aside for, for a moment, okay? So we're going to get to that, but let's just set that aside, and let me ask you this question. How do you make anything the most important thing in your home? Now, many people, I think, don't intentionally make something the most important thing of their home. It happens almost naturally, and generally speaking, whoever is the leader in that home, if it's the single mom, if it's the parents or grandma, whatever it is, whatever they think is the most important thing by osmosis becomes kind of the most important thing in the house. What do I mean by that? So let's say parents, they're big into education. Education is the, is the big thing here in our home. What do you find in a house like that? You find there are books everywhere, and the alphabet is up on the fridge, and there's pictures of Harvard and Yale framed on the wall. And you walk in the home, and you go, wow, I sort of get the idea that education's a big deal here. If the single woman is into pets, let's say cats, you walk into the home, and not only are there cats in the home, but there's little jungle gyms for the cats to play in, and there's books about caps, uh, cats on the shelf, and there's a little catnip you see under the, under the sofa there. And you walk out of there, and you go, I, this house is right there into cats. Cats are really important around here. Now let's just say it's a cub's house. I want you to hang with me here, okay? I mean this somewhat humorously, but I also mean this very practically, okay? Because all of a sudden, you kind of get where I'm going now. Let's just say that it is a Cubs house. Or let's say that a family said, we want to establish the cultural value of the Chicago Cubs in our home. How is that like established? How is that lived out? Well, 
Here's some ways that you would do that. You would talk a lot about the Cubs in the home. When's the next game? How are we doing? Where are, we, where are our standings? What are our chances of making the playoffs? The roster is pretty much memorized. You know the player, you look at his picture, you go, totally know who that is. He came to us from AAA, la la la. We know the story behind all that. The history of the team is very well known. Back in the day, and the goat, and the this, and the that. Everybody in the family knows the story. The history of the Cubs. Cubs wins are celebrated. Cubs losses are mourned. The public, uh, they're, they're public with their support of the Cubs. Not ashamed of it at all, right? They win, fly the W. They identify with the team wherever they go. They got bumper stickers. They wear the jersey, little t-shirts, hats, different things. Hey, you know what? Hey, this is, this is what we're about. They play baseball with their neighbors. Wrigley Field is sacred in the home. When they get with other Cubs fans, now I didn't realize this when I was preparing this message, but this weekend is Cubs convention. Did you know that? We probably have people not here at church today because of Cubs convention, and I do want them to feel condemned, and I'm not joking. No, no, no. Do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not joking when I say a great way to elevate something silly above Jesus is on Sunday morning to go to something like that instead of church. Okay? Your kids will get it. Congratulations. When they get with other Cubs fans, like at the convention today, they enjoy the camaraderie. They talk about it. They share stories. They relive great moments. They sing Cubs songs and love to do it. Their children grow up Cubs fans, right? And they carry that allegiance, hopefully, to the grandkids. Their home reflects their heart's value. And if you spend time in that home, like, you can just go there for dinner. You walk out of the house, and you say to whoever was with you, you say, wow, they really love the Cubs around there. Why? Because it's the culture of the home, okay? So if this was a message entitled, How to Create a Cubs Culture at Home, most of us would, you almost could have done the same list, couldn't you? Like, oh, these are some of the things that you would do, and you do this over time, do it with consistency, start when the kids are young, establish this as a big deal. But when it comes to Christianity, we think somehow that the mechanisms for creating culture are that much different. And I would submit to you, they are very similar. And I mean that as an encouragement, because this means that this is doable, because people do this with much less important things all around us, all the time, and the kids grow up, and the big thing in the home. So why then is it so easy to create a culture in a home that is about education, or cats, or cubs, and creating Christian culture at home seems so challenging to us. And the reason for this, friends, is because of the world, the flesh, and the devil. None of them want you to elevate Jesus in your home and will fight against you in many different ways 
to frustrate you, confuse you, uh, distract you in some way because they do not want Christ honored anywhere. They hate him. And in particular, our sin nature that all of us have, even as Christians we retain the sin nature, is always going to resist making changes that might elevate Jesus anywhere. Paul writes in Romans 7, when I go to do good, their evil is right beside me. There is an evil in you, in us, that will not like the things that I'm sharing today. In fact, some of the things I can tell you right now, as I say them inside of you, there's going to be this whole like, oh, I don't want to do that. And I want you to know in advance, what is, where is that feeling coming from? That is not the Holy Spirit. That is coming from the flesh that dwells within you, the old man, as Paul calls it. And I want to encourage you to resist the resistance, okay? That internal lawyer, as you're driving home today, that internal lawyer is going to be arguing vociferously against making anything different than the way that it's been and is going to try to get you to just sort of go with the flow that you've known because this is the way that you were raised and go with the flow that you've known in the culture of your marriage because this is the way that it's been and it's you know the path of least resistance. Or go with the way that it's been because this is sort of the expectation within your general broad family culture. Now, God is stronger than your flesh, the world, and the devil. And I am appealing to the Holy Spirit who dwells within every Christian here to out-argue the sinful nature lawyer within each one of us. And for us to leave here today with maybe just a couple things here where we're like, you know what? That would move us along. That would help us so much if we would just begin to do that in our home. So all that said, how to create kingdom culture at home. Let's get into it now. And a a reminder, the kingdom of God. So we're doing this series from Matthew on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the reign of God through Christ. It is a redemptive reign. It was established in the death of Jesus on the cross. He is king and Lord at the right hand of God Almighty. He has authority now, but there is a a, a provisional king now in the world, Satan, who is in rebellion against God. But as we sang in the last hymn of the, the last stanza of the song, Christ will come with shout of acclamation. And in that moment, the rule and reign of Jesus will spread into every inch of the universe, and the spiritual kingdom of God will be very much a physical one. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So every home right now that's about some silly thing or not Jesus thing, someday that home, those people will bow before Jesus and say, you are the big thing I should have lived my whole life for. So how do we enthrone Jesus in our home. And I think you're going to see the pattern here. I do this because I, help, I think it helps to remember it. And it, it fits with our, our kingdom theme here. So here's the first thing that I would say. If you want to, if you want to have a kingdom home, you, you need to talk to the king. You need to talk to the king. Now the Bible calls that something different. What's it called? Prayer. But if we get out of our sort of spiritual language here a moment and recognize that when I pray, I am talking to the king. I'm expressing, sharing, appealing to the king. And I share this because I think this is the easiest, 
mechanism, the quickest to establish, that brings the glory of Jesus into a home. I know of nothing better than simply praying. Prayer is when we talk to the king. Now, don't get caught up in your Trinitarianism here a little bit too much. Jesus said, you know, pray to God the Father, and I think we can pray to the Father, the Son, or the Spirit, and collectively as Almighty God. So don't get all sort of Trinitarianly confused here. The point is this, is that we as citizens of the kingdom of God have the incredible privilege that the citizens of England do not have, and the citizens of other uh, royalty don't have. They never get to talk to the king. They never get to talk to the queen. They stand outside Buckingham Palace, and they look through the walls, and they go, wow, maybe we'll see her. But Jesus is a king who invites us to talk to him. And when we pray, we're talking to the king. And that prayer is a, it's inherently a submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Even when we, you know, may say, why do we bow our heads when we pray? Because it is a physical symbol of what we are doing spiritually as we bow our hearts and our life to the glory of Christ. And when we pray out loud and when we pray together, it establishes the fact that we are not gods in our home. There is somebody that is greater than us. Prayer does that. And when family members pray together, they are collectively affirming a spiritual reality that Jesus is king. Now I have found with our children, we can pray and two seconds later, they're being disobedient. So this is not like a silver bullet, right? And occasionally maybe Jennifer and I are as well. But the point is this, is that it brings Jesus into the home. Prayer does. So can I ask you, are, are, is there a regular rhythm of prayer that you follow in your home? And I want to say it needs to be a regular rhythm because if we don't make it a regular rhythm, it too easily becomes a non-existent one. And there are times in the regular rhythm of the day that are just seem like appropriate to pray. Let me give you a few of these that I think would be great times to say in our home, this is when we're going to pray. Here's a few. How about this? Meals, okay, that sounds not so radical, right? To pray before a meal. Does the Bible say you have to pray before you eat? I know of no such verse, okay? But what a great time to say thank you, God, for a provision in my life. So that family mealtime prayer, okay, great time. How about bedtime? To pray, to pray before you go to bed. How about in the morning, right? I think that's what Jesus inferred. Give us today daily bread. It's sort of a prayer in the morning type prayer. God, I'm acknowledging today you're king of my life. How about that big day? Spouse has got a big day. Child's got a big day. You say, you know what? It's a big day. Let's just spend a little special time in prayer together. How about the big sorrow day? Oh, sweetheart, I am so sorry. Can I just pray for you right now? A big need type moment. I say pre-Sunday as part of just getting ready for corporate worship, but to have maybe a regular once a week kind of, hey, let's pray that God would use this weekend in a glorious way in our life and around the world. And just have that kind of rhythm once a week to be having a prayer like that. This or whatever you decide, what I'm encouraging you is what Paul writes in Ephesians 6.18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. I don't know of any easier way to introduce kingdom culture into a home than all of a sudden for that family to start praying out loud together. And you don't need to be, you know, this amazing prayer warrior and get your these and thous right. 
Just the fact that you are acknowledging that there is God has a profound impact on a marriage and on, on a home. A kingdom home will be a praying home. They talk to the king. They talk to the king in a kingdom home. Secondly, a kingdom home will listen to the king. Kingdom home will listen to the king. Now, how does our king speak to us? Let's just ask that question. How does our king, how does our king speak, uh, speak to us? Does he, does, is it Churchill giving the radio addresses? Is it uh, you know, uh, letters from uh, afar? No, he speaks to us from his word, doesn't he? I don't know if you think about it that way, but whenever the Bible is opened, it is, it is Jesus that is speaking. It is about Jesus, and it is from Jesus. That's why on the, on the Emmaus Road, he can just go into the Old Testament and say, this whole th- Old Testament, is, it's all about me, okay? It's all about me. And in a kingdom home, when you read the Bible, you are also acknowledging that there is a higher authority than us. There is a guide for our family. We are in submission to the word of God. Isaiah 66, verse 2, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. What role does the Bible have in your home? Okay. What role? Is it, is it sort of like in the stack of newspapers? It's sort of tossed around. It you know, holds the door open. Uh, it holds the bills down. Or is there a sense of reverence that, that you have for God's word and in the reading of it? Okay? In the reading of it. You want to have a culture in your home where reading and knowing the Bible is normal. So parents, if I could ask you this question, do your kids ever see you reading the Bible? And this is one thing, I, I, this is an argument, I think, for a physical Bible versus the digital one on your phone. Because they don't know if you're reading the Bible or texting Aunt Mabel, right? But if you have a Bible open and they see you in the morning reading your Bible, it has a way of making a very powerful impression upon them. So where to start with this? I'm just, I just brought a few resources with me. These are a couple we're using. My children are three and under, so we're at that stage of life. But we use the, the big picture Bible, okay? We read this because she can't get Leviticus right now, okay? So the big picture story Bible by David Helm, we've, uh, we've enjoyed that very much. We also use a catechism. Uh, which is a simple question and answer that goes through the basic doctrines of Christianity. This is the one that we use, First Catechism, Teaching Children Bible Truths. And, uh, you know, it takes discipline to do it. It honestly does. We do it after dinner. I'll get to family worship in just a moment. The big point is this, is that make Scripture prominent. I know people, there's people, they have like these chalkboards, and they have the verse of the week, right? Or they have, you know, the, the, the whatever it is, then they put it up, they paint it on the wall. My brother-in-law has, it, has uh, things like this painted on the wall so that everywhere, every day you walk through there, there it is again. And I'll bet there might be some plaque like what uh, Gary mentioned that maybe if you grew up in a Christian home that was on the wall and it was there all the time, but over time it sticks in your brain, right? And my family had that as well. Elevate scripture. Put that, those truths up there. Make sure your kids know the Bible. Memorize verses together. 
Maybe it's scripture songs and music. We use this on Pandora and and, uh, Amazon Music. They have scripture stations where you just play this music and the kids like learn the Bible and they don't even know it, okay? Now, I don't know if that's great or not, but they're learning the Bible and they don't even know it. Um, Play those in the van. That's what we do. And uh, when when Kiralee was like two, she knew like 44 verses just because of the songs that she, la, 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 sing these songs. We say, is that the Bible? I don't know. I just like the music. But we're putting that truth in her heart. That's what we want. The king talks to his people through his word. I would make sure that Bible is prominent, not because it's a huge Bible, but because it's read and known and valued and treasured in the home. All right, so talk to the king, listen to the king. Third, talk about the king. Talk about the king. Listen to, listen to what, G, uh, what God told Israel to do. This is Deuteronomy 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your heart, of your house, heart better, and on your gates. Okay, Deuteronomy 6. If you ever go to Israel, you'll see some of the very traditional Orthodox Jews, they take this so literally that they have little pieces of Scripture in boxes taped to their forehead, okay, and they walk around like this. Or maybe you've been to a, 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 a Jewish home, and they'll have a little uh, symbol on the door. Sometimes they touch it as they come in. Uh, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one, is what that represents. They put it on the doors of their house. Now, what I'm suggesting is not that we get boxes with Scripture in it, and we, you know, glue it to our forehead, what I am saying here is that in the conversations of our home, this is what Deuteronomy is talking about, in the, the day-to-day of life, that's what we do, a family is, like, is living life together, and in the living of life together, we talk about things. We talk about the weather, we talk about school, we talk about the family, we talk about the, you know, animals in the backyard, we talk about all of these things, and in a kingdom home, There is an intentional push to talk about spiritual things. Now here now, the internal lawyer is maybe luring up within you right now because it's way easier to talk about uh, school, cubs, and cats. But when you say, hey, let's talk about spiritual things. Chirp, chirp, chirp. All of a sudden everyone gets... And it seems unnatural. And you don't want that in your home. You want, in your home, conversations about spiritual things to feel normal. Okay, Make them feel normal by doing it. Kingdom culture requires kingdom spiritual conversations. And not only is it an opportunity to talk about spiritual things, to benefit from that conversation, it elevates within the home the things of God. Can I ask you, this week in your home, how often did you talk about anything that would loosely be described as spiritual in nature? Just think about that. Why not talk about what God's doing in your life? 
Why not talk about God's people and talk about God's work and God's church and the principle that Deuteronomy is bringing up here, I, I, I'm calling it the drip principle. The Deuteronomy drip principle. Maybe that'll help you remember it. The Deutero drip. I don't know. I'm just, whatever I can to help you today, I'm trying to do it, okay? It's the drip principle. As you live life, okay, you drip into the conversation when appropriate and not being weird. There are people that do this awkwardly and so weirdly, and it just turns everybody off. Don't do that, okay? But in the normal course of conversation, when appropriate and as much as possible, drip into those times in the car and those times in the phone and those times, you know, shopping or whatever, things that are of some spiritual nature and quality. Drip, drip, drip. Ask questions that require spiritual answers. You say, like what? Well, let me give you some examples. How about regularly asking, so what has God been teaching you lately? Or if it's a kingdom home, what did you read in, uh, in the word this morning? What's the big prayer request in your life right now? How can I pray for you today? How are things going for you spiritually right now? What's something that's like sort of turboed your faith lately? What are you trusting God for these days? What was your big takeaway from Sunday's sermon? Like just that, I think we should all talk about that on the way home today and every single Sunday, okay? It's not like you have this big moment, we worship Jesus, it's all about him, it's so fantastic, get in the car. Well, now what's for lunch? And it's like, you know, all this amazing, glorious stuff and then we just sort of like, boop, turn the key and it disappears. Keep it going, keep it going, make it live in your family. Ask questions. Here's another tip I'll give you, and this is another Old Testament uh, principle. You might remember when the Israelites went through uh, the Jordan River into the Promised Land, Joshua says this to them in Joshua 4.21, and he said to the people of Israel, they, they grabbed rocks out of the middle of the Jordan River and they carried them to the other side, and he says, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. Now here's the principle behind this. Have some spiritual mementos that remind and just by their existence, they, they say something in, in the home. And I'm going to give you one example, and this was not planned by me at all. But I, I've had this in my home office, I don't know how many years now, okay, for some years. Well, one day, Carolee comes in, and, and she's like, what's this rock about? And I said, well, sweetheart, Daddy, some years ago, was very, very discouraged and was questioning lots of things in his life. And I was walking around, along Lake Michigan, and I saw this very smooth stone, and I picked it up, and the thought came to me that, how did this stone get so smooth? Like for thousands of years, there were collisions and abrasions and all of this, and it made the stone really smooth. And I just thought, that's what God's doing in this trial in my life right now. And so I kept the rock, sweetheart. She loves this rock. In fact, yesterday, I, I said, sweetheart, can you go get Daddy's stone? She keeps it in her bedroom now. <laughs> and she says to me, she goes, maybe when you're done, I can borrow it again. She probably asked me every other day, what does the stone mean? 
And in your home, I just, and this is one example, maybe have things around that act as prompters of, of truth, like the, the picture of you getting baptized or a picture of the, you know, somebody that discipled you on the fridge or just things that spur those kinds of opportunities to say, sweetheart, daddy was a, sw- a sinner, but he came to Jesus and I am so glad that I did. Whatever that is. In your, in your story and in your life. Like, do you, make your story legendary in your house. Make sure your kids know how you came to faith in Christ, what you were like before and the difference Jesus has made in your life. Or maybe who it was that God used to disciple you or whatever. Just have those things everybody knows. In fact, it'd be curious to me right now if I was to say, how did your spouse come to faith in Christ? Do you even know? Do you know the circumstances around that? Or if you grew up in a Christian home, do you know how your parents became a Christian? Tell the story over and over again. Celebrate spiritual birthdays, whatever it is, to keep it going in the home. I think it's very helpful. I also want to encourage you to have a regular time of family worship. Do it, okay? A time in your home, a rhythm where you just say, okay, family, for these moments, we're going to focus on God. And it can be different for every family. My small group, we were talking, I was asking them questions about this, and one family, they said, the only time we can do it is in the morning. And they get up 15 minutes extra early, I don't know if they do it every day, three out of five, whatever, and they have family worship time. They read the Bible, they pray together, they just have a little conversation. That is so incredibly helpful. And I wanna urge you to have some regular rhythm. Whatever it is for you, it's, it's up to you, but spend a little time talking about spiritual things, read the Bible, and pray together. And there's lots of resources out there, and maybe I'll send some in my email to the church this week. Okay, I'm moving on now. Worship the king, okay? Worship the king. God has made the human body with regular rhythms, right? So you slept last night as a regular part of your rhythm. You're gonna eat two or three or five meals today as a part of your regular rhythm. And we know from creation that God established a rhythm. Six days shall you work, one day shall you rest. One day that is set apart as a different day. A day of worship, a day of special consideration to God, a day of special service to the Lord. And I think, I don't have a verse for this, but I think the the best way that you can establish Jesus as king of your home is to embrace that rhythm of weekly worship, corporate weekly worship, where your family, whether it's you alone or 18 of you, I say that because the Hughesmans are in the second row, um, you go and you worship God together. There is something about that rhythm and the prioritizing of it that establishes what is true, that Jesus is more important than the Cubs convention, and Jesus is more important than the baseball game and the, and the, you know, the car uh, show or the whatever it is. And I, I've told these stories over the years. I remember growing up, we lived out in the country and in Iowa, okay, snow and blizzards and all the rest. And now my dad grew up in the UP, granted, but so that's nothing to him. But uh, we, we would go to church. I remember plowing through drifts of snow at high rates of speed to get through it in order to get to church. 
And you might say, well, that doesn't mean that much. You sit in the back seat of a car in terror to get to church. Why? Because the DeWitts go to church. That's what we do on Sunday. And it says something very powerful, not just to the children, but even to your own heart. Okay? Go to church. Go to Wrigley. Sing the songs. Fly the W. Celebrate the... I'm confused now. I'm sorry. Go to church. <laughs> sing the songs. Celebrate Jesus together. Listen to God's word as if your spiritual life depended on it, because it does. And do that every single Sunday and make it more important than anything else. And you say, why would I, why would I do that? Why not just sort of have this sort of fluid thing and we'll kind of wait and see and, you know, if nothing else comes up, we'll show up. Here's why. Because the kingdom of God is to be sought first And the clearest and easiest way to establish a kingdom first priority is to prioritize worship of the king. And that's what we're doing here right now. I'm going to move on here. Quickly, serve the king. Serve the king. Jesus said this in Mark 10, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And again, I'm not spending a lot of time here, but when we serve the Lord together in a home, there is something that sacrificing time, energy, doing something for other people does to us. More blessed to give than to receive, Jesus said, right? And it's a blessed family that is giving of themselves to others. Okay? There's a, it's, it fuses our family with selflessness. The family that just lives for themselves raises children who are incredibly selfish because <laughs> that's all they've ever known, right? But when we get out and out of our comfort zone and do things for others, it creates a, what a true kingdom culture is, which is to give yourself, right? To give of yourself for others. And I, I'll go back to my own family growing up. I, I, my dad was a deacon over the years, and... Um, I was like his, the deacon to the deacon. I was like the, I was the oldest son, okay? So he would, whatever he was going and doing, he would drag me along. And you might say, well, that was just to give your mom a break. And looking back at it, maybe it was. But uh, the effect of it, though, was powerful in my own life. To see my dad not living for himself, but trying to meet needs of other people. So guess what I do full-time now? I attribute a lot of that to my parents and their example. Here's the last thing, and there's more than this, and you probably have five things you think I should have said, and that's fine, but a kingdom home is going to celebrate what the king celebrates, and by inference is not going to celebrate what the king doesn't celebrate. Listen to Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What is God doing in a kingdom home? He is establishing, or I should say reestablishing, kingdom 
culture. He's establishing the family as he intended it to be prior to the fall. Sin enters into the picture and families become selfish and become broken and divisive and all the things that we see around us all the time. But a kingdom family is God restoring marriage, parenting, relationships, restoring that home unit to what he intended it to be when he made Adam and Eve in the first place. Now I take from Philippians 4.8, not only are these things that we should be thinking about, but these are all things that Christ is like. Okay, What is Jesus like? He is uh, pure. He is honorable. He is just. He is lovely. He is of incredibly good report. That's what Jesus is like. And when Jesus is enthroned in a home, these are the kinds of things that are celebrated in that home. These are things that are promoted and encouraged in the home. So for example, in a kingdom home, profanity is not tolerated because Jesus' name is holy. And in this house, he is not a swear word. He is a worship word. Okay? As one example. We promote in the home things that are good, things that are lovely, not the violent, not the crude, not the immoral. There are some homes, the culture of the home, and this is many homes, I think, where everything trends to our lower nature. So things are all, it's crude and rude and, you know, everything's sort of sophomoric body function humor and words with double meaning and snickering and sarcasm. That's just the culture of the home. And when you see that kind of thing going on, what do you say? That's not Christ-like, right? Why? Because Jesus is lovely. Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is glorious. He is beautiful beyond description. As the hymn says, beautiful Savior, Lord of all nature, Son of God, Son of man, Jesus is fairer, Jesus is purer than all the angels heaven can boast. And when Christ is enthroned in a home and that glorious, good, morally, intrinsically beautiful, lovely Savior is the one that we are wanting to honor, all of this sort of rude and crude seems so inappropriate. Not when Christ is, Christ is the big uh, thing in our home. And so I encourage you in your homes, fill them with goodness and beauty. Fill them with things that are of good report. Fill them with harmony and order as best you can. We're all sinners, right? And so, you know, likely on your way home, something bad's going to happen. Okay, that's just reality in this world. But as we can, we should fill our homes with what is good. Make the entertainment choices in your home, the things that are coming, being allowed into your home through that TV or internet or radio. Best you can, these are things that are good and morally intrinsically uplifting celebrate what Jesus celebrates. Here's what Paul writes in Ephesians 5, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Paul writes in Romans 12, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And a kingdom home is gonna have that sort of moral compass to say, you know what, that is, that is just not the kind of, home that we want to have. Those kinds of words, those kinds of actions, that's just not who we want to be. We want to be this way. 
And you understand where you want to go. Most homes, I think it just sort of, they allow it to just go like this. And it ends up in the toilet and they think, why did this happen? How did this, how did we come to this? We come to it because, you know, the dead fish just goes downriver. What's it going to take for your home to change? It's going to take you enthroning Jesus in your heart and then prayerfully and graciously striving to enthrone Jesus in your home. And to have that culture, the ethos of that house to be honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. One last thing I just want to mention is uh, the Christian calendar provides some neat opportunities for this. Use traditions to establish these kinds of things. So make Christmas about Jesus, okay? Primarily about Jesus. It's not about the decorations. It's not about the presents. It's not about Santa. In our home, it's primarily about Jesus, okay? Make Easter primarily about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, not about clothes and bunnies and eggs. But in our house, we celebrate the resurrection from the dead, and we call it Resurrection Sunday, And use whatever those kinds of rhythms that you can, your spiritual birthday or whatever, to just build traditions in your home that highlight the gospel. All right, time is fleeting. So let's just review here a second. How do we create kingdom culture in our home? We talk to the king. We listen to the king. In our conversations, we strive to regularly talk about the king. We have the rhythm each week of worshiping the king. We look for opportunities that we can serve the king, and in the ethos of our home, we celebrate what he celebrates and seek to promote that in our home. Is that helpful? Okay. That was a big dump there, a whole lot of stuff, more to say, but uh, our time is fleeting. So right now, what I'd like to do is, let's all stand, okay, let's all stand. And I don't know how many like home units we have represented here right now, but we, so we have, you know, singles, married couples, families, maybe the kids are sitting by you or whatever, but just the best you can, okay? With your home unit, would you just circle up for a moment, okay? Identify who your home unit that you're with here, if you have one. And if you're, if you're here by yourself, that's totally fine. Home unit, okay? I'm looking for a circle. I see home units not circling. You're still looking at me, okay? Face each other. Face each other. Now, I want to ask, I'm going to give one minute for the leader of that home, and I hope you know who you are, to pray over your home that increasingly there would be a kingdom culture in your home. Okay, so I'm going to give you one minute and then I'm going to offer a final prayer. Let's all go to the Lord in prayer right now. Okay, pray out loud, by the way, to be clear. I'm asking you to pray out loud over your home.
What a beautiful sound this is today, Father, to hear Holmes praying. And God, I pray that uh, this might continue into this day and into this week. Father, what an incredible opportunity to do good today we have, to, to move families more and more towards your purposes. And Father, I pray that you would help us to resist that internal lawyer arguing against making any change. Lord, we know that is the enemy. Open our hearts. Holy Spirit, come. Fill us. Fill our homes. Be honored, Jesus, we pray. And we'll give you the glory. We pray it in the high and holy name of Jesus. Amen.